This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 543 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Ben Wadham. Now, Ben began his military career in the Royal Marines, becoming a commando and then ultimately the revered PTI, physical training instructor. But it was ultimately his courage outside the military that grabbed the attention of so many people, and we truly got a glimpse into the cost of military service on the men and women that serve. So I was humble when Ben agreed to come on the Behind the Shield podcast, the first ever podcast interview that he had done. So we discuss a host of topics from his early life, his journey into the military, healthy and unhealthy coping mechanisms, training Mark Ormrod, the nonprofits he now works with, and so much more. Before we get into this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it more and more visible, therefore easier for others to find. And this is a free library of now 543 episodes for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women stories so I can get them to everyone else who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Ben Wadham. Enjoy.
Well, Ben, I want to start by saying thank you so much, not only for coming on the Behind the Shield podcast, but for trusting me for coming on for the, the first time on a podcast. Yeah, this, uh, yeah, it literally is my first ever podcast, actually. I've been, uh, I've been quite apprehensive and nervous about it, actually, all week. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no, no need to be. I mean, that's what's so beautiful, I think, is once we kind of, you know, get, get the ice broken a bit and just become present, it's just a, a conversation between two people that happens to be recorded, you know. So hopefully it'll put you at ease. And at the end of it, you'll, you know, that anxiety will be gone. So for people listening, where on planet Earth are we finding you today? So I am in United Kingdom. Um, specifically down in the southwest in a lovely place called Devon uh, in a city called Plymouth um, a very historical navy city and it's been quite an important city through the world wars strategy and other things so it's quite a, quite an interesting city actually beautiful I'm actually planning a trip back home just myself not my family and I want to do a little road trip and come down and you know maybe even roll with the guys at Reorg and you know meet Mark finally face to face and you so hopefully because I'm from Bath originally which is southwest too so a little further up than you yeah not not only, only about an hour hour and a half on the uh the old dual carriageway so for you guys over that side of the pond it's uh very small commute for us it's quite long yeah exactly it's so weird like my wife's in medical school and she's down uh, four hours away and i do that like every other weekend without thinking about it whereas before london was like you know oh pack pack the stagecoach <laughs> yeah yeah an hour and a half up the road you're like jesus christ this is gonna be a long time we, we need sandwiches <laughs> <laughs> all right well then i'd love to start at the very beginning so tell me where you were born and then tell me a little bit about your family dynamic what your parents did and how many siblings <laughs> um so i was born in plymouth um I grew up in Cornwall and in my later teens, I grew up, I've lived in all over the world. Um, I am one of two, so I have a younger sister who's currently just moved back from Spain. Um, my uh, mum lives down in Cornwall. Um, I've got two sets of grandparents. Um, I'm estranged from my father and I have been for many years. Um, and I have myself, a beautiful wife, and two uh, lovely little girls. Brilliant. And what about when you were young, what kind of sports were you playing? Because obviously not you, you didn't only enter the Royal Marines, but you became a PTI. Yeah, so um, I, I played everything. Uh, I think at school, like most important sport I played for me, and one of the biggest sports has been a big part of my life is rugby. Um, you know, kind of like American football, but I can imagine for men without pads. You know, I, know <laughs> I was always, waiting for it. <laughs> always always going to get that debate in there, aren't we? Um, <laughs> Uh, but I played tennis, I played cricket, I did cross country, I did athletics, anything I could do to physically get out of doing class time, I used to get involved with basically. Beautiful. I can relate to that completely. My, my favorite teacher was my PE teacher and actually still in contact with him on Facebook today. But he, he was definitely one of the most influential men on my life. Yeah. Yeah, I think you do get those. Um, uh, do you know what? The PE teacher was a great guy, but one of the most influential guys, we had a South African math teacher and I can't remember his name for life of me but he was always someone that actually stuck up for me and saw something in me and I'll always be forever grateful for that. So speaking of that you said about you being estranged something that I hit on a lot more now once I was kind of made aware of it through many of these conversations is the fact that a lot of us go into the military into the first responder professions um partly because of things that happened in the past subconsciously we're not even aware of it so for example for me 
Um, there were some other things that happened in, in my younger years too, but I was in a house fire when I was four, almost killed me. Um, so, and then I became a firefighter, so go figure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of trauma that's brought into, a, you know, the uniform before we ever, ever put it on. So when you look back now with this journey that you've been through, are there any elements of your early life that you could attribute to being, you know, somewhat traumatic? Yeah, you know, I think um, uh, when my dad left, I used to sit by the window, wait for him and cry as a kid for him to come back. He never did. You know, something that I'd always look back on and you never really think too much about it. You thought, oh, I was just a kid, I didn't really know. But actually, yeah, it does you. And if you always think about it and always go back to those same moments, you go, well, actually, it must have some sort of effect if I keep thinking about it or replaying that scenario. Um, you know, and like every kid at school, most kids always want mum and dad, don't they? And it's difficult and stressful because my mum worked, I don't know, three or four jobs just to make ends meet. Um, so, yeah it, was, uh, yeah, it was one of those things, isn't it? When you're young, it's hard. And how old were you when your dad left? Oh, do you know what? I, I don't even remember. I don't know, six, seven, maybe younger. I, I, I can't remember, if I'm honest. That, that whole age, how old I was, doesn't really ever seem really re relevant. I, I don't know. I can't remember. Maybe my mum will know, but I've never even thought about the age that I was at the time. Yeah, yeah. We see my ex-wife now, my son's mother, her dad left when she was five, just packed up and went and started a new family somewhere else. And, you know, we look at single parent families and we're like, oh, well, you know, they're okay, they're doing well. But the trauma of being abandoned and that, that subconscious talk in the back of your mind that you weren't good enough for that parent, whether it was you were given away for adoption, whether it was one of them left, I see that as a theme over and over again that, that pays out later in life. Yeah, yeah, I totally, uh, no, I totally agree. And I, you think, you know, you have memories. I had memories in the early stages of him when he left and then he'd come back for weekends and things that he'd say to you. And then you'd go and try and live your life by that because you wanted to impress your father at some point. But then actually really ultimately, don't think, it doesn't really matter, does it? Doesn't matter what he thinks. I've found better men that are better role models throughout my life by meeting them in the military or I'm hoping to become one of those people that can be a role model or someone to look up to. Absolutely. Well, speaking of that, so when you were the school age, what were you dreaming of becoming career-wise? Uh, I wanted to be, I, was, I just loved rugby at that time. Um, always loved, you know, I look at kids nowadays and I kind of feel sorry for them. I was still down the woods making dens and playing hide-and-seek until I was about 16 and I'm 17, maybe. I think even the week before I joined the Royal Marines, I was still, I was still climbing upside down and hiding in trees, cammed out on the bottom of a river, waiting for people to go past so I could scare them. Uh, <laughs> I think I always had that uh, element of, I knew, I kind of probably deep down always knew I was going to join the military because, you know, I loved being outdoors in the woods as a kid and I loved playing like, you know, like you'd hunt each other's flags and things like that at the college and that, that all, all those games always being out in the mud and dirty and all that sort of stuff always sticks in my mind. And I guess rugby really in reality, if I'm honest, is probably the closest kind of sport and career, like, you know, club, um, in my early years that is similar to being in the military. Uh, obviously recently I've found jiu-jitsu and I have a jiu-jitsu club at my, my gym and I would say that is that community of brotherhood and my swimming community of brotherhood is the, is the same, you know, and I think it's, um, you're, you're, you're very privileged if you play rugby or you swim in a group or you do jiu-jitsu as, as part of a club because it's nice to belong, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the thing when you go into the professions, whether it's military or first responder or, you know, any, any, any band of brothers or sisters, you have that incredible experience of tribe. And as we'll get to when you transition out or you get hurt or even you promote to a desk, 
you know, if you don't have that other tribe to go to, it can be very damaging. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think I remember week week one of Raw Marine Commandos training on um, day four, the bloke stood up and said, welcome, men, this will be the best club you've ever joined. You'll never be skin. Your Oppolo will always give you money. You'll never not have clothes. Your Oppolo will give you clothes. Look left and right, and these will be some of the best friends that you'll ever make in your life. And I was like, that, that speech, I know it's quite Chad, and it's like, hoorah, but that always sticks into my head. And it's true. You never ever skin because you can always ask one of the lads for money, and or you could you, you know you always have someone who would lend you a shirt to go ashore or something like you know it's uh, yeah that sense of belonging in, in is incredible really absolutely yeah it was the same in the fire service you know by the time you were done with the fire academy you know especially if it was a class that you you graduated with and then work with I mean you that's that's some of your closest friends whether you work you know one year or thirty years yeah I can imagine the same as you know for like paramedics police you know any sort of organization where you do some sort of foundation of training together and i always find like in foundation training you have hard times and it's the hard times that physically chemically i think bond you together it's like it's like the swimming group that that we have called free boys that i created with a couple of other guys we get there like tomorrow morning there's going to be a storm i know there'll be 20 people there that will get in the waves will be crashing it'll be cold it'll be miserable it'll be wet and um, that, that hardship is what creates great friendships. Like, I don't even think that's really up for discussion. Like, you know, all the best friends that I've ever had have come from some sort of like hardship, whether that be rolling on a mat or swimming in the sea or being in the military or playing rugby together. And there's some sort of hardship behind that great friendship. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. And some of the most bonding moments I ever remember was after a fire, simply just loading the hose or cleaning the saws or, you know, whatever vehicle was on at that time. And yeah. having been through what we just went through, whether it was saving a life or just, you know, saving some property, that yeah. that kind of post-suffering camaraderie, was, you, you can't parallel it to anything. No, you can't. No, you know, you just, uh, I can remember in Afghan, we used to sit down and have a, have a contact flag together afterwards. And chat and you know and talk about it you know because that's how you sort of deal with that and process those things isn't it you know and it's like yeah it just get the hot wets on get a fag out the people that even didn't smoke used to get jealous that you smoked at that point because they're like that looks like a cool group to be a part of you know so everybody would come out the woodworks and smoke just to come and sit in the group but you know absolutely and for everyone listening it's not from england that's a cigarette <laughs> yes yeah, that is a cigarette, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> All right, well then talk to me about what made you finally enlist and then your enlistment experience, the Inter Boot Camp. Um, so my granddad was in the army and he's like, obviously, uh, since my dad left, he's been one of the greatest uh, influences in my life. Um, and I joined because of him. God rest his soul. He died a couple of years ago, bless him. Um, but yeah, he was kind of that guy that... Oh, he never spoke about his army career. He used to tell me his army number and he'd tell you a couple of stories every now and again, but that would be, that would be about that. And I was like, cool, all right, maybe the army. And then I remember I was watching TV and I saw the 99.9% need not apply advert. And I think I've spoke, we've spoken about this on, with like some friends on live streams on Instagram and stuff like that before, but it was a video of this lad and Mark Onward's in this, in the advert. So oh, really? Let's watch this. Mark's in it. Yeah, he's in it in Peter's pool. So, um, I think it's Mark or is it? Yeah, it might've been Mark. It might've been in it as well. But there's, there's a, there's a scene in it where he goes through the sheep dip and he gets his boot caught in the water and it says, would you stop here? And he's like panicking under the water, his breath's coming out. 
gets his foot free and he comes out the other side. Someone picks him up. They're like, would you stop here? And then he carries on running up through the muddy tracks. And then, would you stop here? And then it went, no, no, 9% need not apply. And I was like, that's it. I want, I want to, I want to be a warming commando. Um, and I just was instantly hooked on that whole organization, the history, everything that just kind of like submerged myself into hopefully one day achieving, uh, to become one of those guys and get a green beret. Um, and, you know, I think I took Pure MC, did all right on that, and went into training in, when did I start training? Two, August 29th, 2005. Um, and I remember quite vividly my first day on camp because it says walk up and something smart. Now, I, went from, I wasn't from an amazing background and I didn't really ever wear smart clothes, if I'm honest. So I rocked up in a pair of jeans and a shirt and got absolutely hammered for it because everybody else, <laughs> everybody else was in suits. I remember, I was like, God, I've made a bad life choice here. <laughs> a really bad life choice. Definitely not um, a grey man. <laughs> no, I thought that was smart, if I'm honest. I still think that's smart. I spend my whole life in tracksuit bottom at the gym. So, um, but yeah, I can remember rocking up in um, rocking up in, in in jeans and in the DL. He absolutely rinsed me for that for the first couple of weeks until I bought a pair of suit trousers. Basically, <laughs> um, foundation training in Royal Marines is all I can describe as shock of shock of capture. Late nights, early mornings, ironing, admin, fizz, tired, teasy. You don't know anyone. You're not comfortable. You're not confident. Um, you're a kid. It's uh, it's a tough, it's a tough beginning of any military career. I think you know. And the one thing from that two week block that always sticks out for me is that speech that the DL gave to us, and that was something that I kept in the back of my mind for that training. Um, you know, you could come back in after doing some fizz. And you'd walk into the middle of this room and there'd be a pile of clothes and you'd be praying that it wasn't your locker that he, you'd left open or he, he got into because you hadn't locked the padlock properly and he just trashed your locker and all your clothes were sat in the middle of the room. And I think one, one funny story in, in foundation I always remember is one of the, we had um, doby buckets. So doby buckets where you put your dirty laundry and at the end of the day you go and wash it. So, and he was like, write your name's on the, on the Dobie bucket. So I'm like, yeah, cool. Wads. I ripped my nickname, Wads, on this Dobie bucket. Everybody else has got their surname and their new P0 they've been given. And he's like, Wads, what's this? Throwing my Dobie bucket at me, getting my locker. I remember I stood there, I got launched, a whole pile of washing, straight into the side of my head, took me down to one knee. I stood back up and get like that. I can see all the other lads like, laughing at me. I was trying to stay serious. But yeah, so I was, obviously throughout training, like, everybody called me Wads because I was... Uh, I was stupid enough not to put my full name and my P0 on my Doby bucket. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, it, and then training, training's a blur. When you look back on it, you have, you have specific points and funny stories or some stuff that was really, really hard that you, you can pick out. Um, and it's your, for me, training was really difficult because I didn't know masks from my elbow. You know, I'd left school early. I'd lived two years in Spain. Um, and then I'd come back and I'd join the military and I had no concept of like authority. I didn't like school anyway. So I never listened to the authority figures in school. So for me, that was completely new doing as you told, being shouted at, not doing it quick enough, getting thrashed. Um, and it was a real blur. And I, I struggled through training. I wasn't the greatest recruit in the world. I found it really, really hard, you know? Um, and like most people do, some, some lads excel through training and they're just amazing. 
Um, but I found training really difficult. Fizz-wise, loved, found it easy. Um, always kind of knew from being in training that I loved the PT branch. Um, and the first time you see your PTIs, they do some stuff on the dais, which is a big wooden box. You do some IMF, initial military fitness, and then you take the mick out of them back in the grots without them knowing about it, um, obviously. And then, yeah, so that's kind of where I got that inspiration to be a PTI, really. Now, was the, the PTI role early in your career, or did you go off as a, was, a commando? Yeah, no, later, that was later in the career. So within the Royal Marines, you have to become eligible to be a corporal and get selected for promotion before you can even um, kind of attempt to become a PTI. So you have to do like a career before you transfer across. So a lot of us, you come from all different branches within the Royal Marines. So I um, I passed out in 2006. I deployed to Afghanistan on Herrick 5 in 2006 to 2007. Um, I was then a part of reconnaissance troop uh, at 4-2 Commando, where I spent a couple of years. Um, I then got what we call pinged um, for SIGs, which is like communication specialist. And I did two to four years, I think it was like three years as a signaler. I did, uh, was on beach reconnaissance team. So we did a lot of like beach recce's and stuff like that from ships. So we'd go out, recce the beach. I'd establish a communication point on the beach. So when the troops come into land, it, all the comms and that would already be working. Um, and then after that, I got selected for a junior. So I applied to be a PTI because that's what I wanted to do. Passed my aptitude. Um, funny story, they told me that the signals, the SIGS branch wouldn't release me to go and do a PTIs. And I was like, well, I'm not having this. I don't want to, I don't want to become a corporal and be a signaler. So I actually didn't go on. I actually came off my juniors halfway through my first juniors. Um, and I put my shit in to leave the Royal Marines to transfer to the Royal Navy to become a, a, a Royal Navy PTI. And as I did that, Whale Island, some guy, some uh, Sergeant Major at Whale Island said, why are you going rang me and said, through my troop boss, I said, why are you going Matlow PTI? I was like, well, they're not going to give it to me as a boot neck. And he's like, nah, you can have one. And then he get me on the next juniors, the next PT2s. And I was like, fucking, excuse my French, absolutely buzzing, as you can imagine. I think I was 24 years old, going into the career that I really wanted to do. Beautiful. Well, I want to get to, you know, the, actually coaching soldiers in a little bit. But when you said that you did well in the, the Fizz stuff, when you look back, what elements of your training and or sport prepared you, you know, where maybe some others weren't as well prepared? Do, do, do you know what? I think for me, like when it came to, to fears, I don't know why, I'm just, I'm just stubborn and I just keep going. Like, and I think I had that, like, especially rugby, I always come back to rugby. I can remember playing games as a kid on frozen pitches and it being horrendous, but you still play rugby. You still hit hard. You still run hard. Like, you know, and I always just thought to myself, that's it. And do you know what I found the weirdest things when I joined the Royal Marines? I found people used, people trained and did exercise who didn't play sports. That blew my mind. I just thought, if you didn't do sports, you didn't train. Like, because I was only like 18 and I trained only because I played rugby. And everything I did was geared around playing rugby. And then these people were like, no, nah, I'm just, a, I just, I just do a trip, train the gym, do a bit of cross country. And I'm like, so what sport do you play? Like, I, I don't play a sport. I'm like, well, this is weird. You know, now I'm one of those weirdos that does exercise in no sport. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, I mean, it's, it's an interesting side note, though. I mean, it's something that we're seeing a lot now as, as a coach. I, I part-time coach at a CrossFit gym here and do my own, like, tactical athlete class. But one of the things I see in the CrossFit space is just that, you know. There's this kind of a, I want to be the best at working out, as, as they you know, jokingly say. But I would tell my athletes, like, well, 
think about what you're training for. Like, you know, if you're just putting a pin one number up in a, in a gym somewhere on a pec deck, like, you know, what's the end goal versus, you know, whether it's getting in the military, whether it's a sport, whether it's, you know, wanting to run a tough mudder or whatever it is, like to, you take away that goal. I find, you know, a lot of times it's, you've taken away the why. So now people are just kind of going through the motion without really using that strength and conditioning that they're developing for something fun or meaningful. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I like to say, you know, yeah, CrossFit is just, just trying to be the best exercising. As Kenny Powers said, you know, Kenny Powers, you know, this TV program, but it, it's true. But, you know, at least, you know, CrossFit gives you a name. It gives you accountability. It gives you things that you want to tick off. You want to get better technically. You want to get better movement-wise. You want to get some sort of gymnastic capacity. You want to do a competition or you use it because you're joining the military. And it does give you some mental resilience because some of the workouts are extremely hard. And when you're in 25 minutes deep into a 40-minute AMRAP and you think, well, I'm not going to be able to make the last 15, 20 minutes, your body seems to pull through. You understand physically you start to understand mentally what you're physically capable of. And I think that's, you know, great. And I spent, especially for like the female world at the moment, I think, you know, CrossFit has done, you know, I think a lot of people give it a bad reputation, but without CrossFit, gymnastics wouldn't be popular. Weightlifting wouldn't be popular. Small women in this world at any present time now putting barbells in their hands and learning how to lift, doing pull-ups, doing handstand push-ups. It's fucking, excuse my friend, it's absolutely awesome. And I, I, I buzz from that. Yeah. Know? Well, and it's amazing as well because to me, that I mean, obviously, the, as you said, there are there have always been Olympic lifters and gymnasts, but it's definitely you know made it way more mainstream. But to me, what I'm seeing is it's bringing a lot more great candidates into the fire service, into law enforcement, especially as you said, women who were always yeah. capable of, but they were told the message was, oh no, you don't do things like weightlifting and becoming a soldier. You just you know cook and clean and all the kind of Victorian bullshit mentality that was spread for years and years. So I love yeah that complete revolution where. Of course, there are differences between, you know, genders in some areas, but there are many female athletes that whoop my ass on a, on a regular basis in my CrossFit gym. You, most of the boys coming to this gym, they're all humbled by the girls. And I'll tell you that, it's, you know, they're always humbled by the girls in this gym. And it's just, they're, all, they're incredible. And it's great for, it's great for me because I've got two daughters. So I want to see that, you know, that, that, um, women be able to actually smash it out of the park and do everything that, you know, perhaps, 50 years ago when some weirdo told them they couldn't do it. Like, you know what I mean? Um, and that's what something I will teach my, my children that, you know, never let anybody tell you they can't do something. Absolutely. Just before we get into the actual career, I had a moment a little while ago where I found myself at the original drill ground where I learned, you know, went to the fire academy and there was a recruit class going through and I was like, God, it feels good to have been a firefighter and never have to do that again. Did you ever get that moment on, on you know, where you did your training? <laughs> I did and then I realised that if I wanted to go PTI I had to do it all over again like oh. harder. <laughs> so maybe I'm a bit weird in the head for that one like but you you, <laughs> it's one of those things like Roman Commando training will bring out the best in the competitive edge of you and same as a PT course but I kind of like that aspect from CrossFit as well is that if you're racing someone the competitive edge is completely different to just doing it on your own and like you say, I remember Fizz in the Roman's training, like it was hard. And I'm not joking, you've got to learn to rope climb, you're doing strict pull-ups, you're doing um, regains, you're doing sprints up and down hills, you're going out for long distance runs, you're doing load carries, you start loading it up with a weapon in front of you, you're running in combat boots, which is a brand new experience, you know, you're doing speed marches to a specific pace 
it is hard. And then to go and do all that again, and I'm not just over-exaggerating, but the Warman Commando Physical Training Instructors course is probably out there, I would say, is one of the toughest courses in the world for fizz, for exercise. It is brutal. So let's, let's, let's talk about that now then while we were discussing it. So what are the differences between the PT you did as a trainee Royal Marine and the, the selection course for PTI? So um, in terms of like the actual basic components of the exercises, it was all the same. But instead of doing a minimum of three rope climbs with a mate fast, you're now doing like 10, 11 rope climbs with something like called a reverse where you go up the rope to the top, you turn around, you come back down it upside down, you turn around before your feet hit the floor and you climb back to the top of the 30 foot rope. That's your first rope climb. You still got five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, maybe even more rope climbs to do after that. So it's not different. It's just that the volume is um, massively increased. The times that you've got to hit stuff in is obviously decreased. And I, re- I remember like week one of PT course, the course instructor will say, at some point on this course, you'll be stood on the gym floor and I'll be a couple of minutes late and you'll be praying that I'm in a car crash and you don't have to be physically <laughs> And we're all like, whatever, mate. Then about week four in, you're like, he's two minutes late. Maybe what he said's come true. You start to get excited <laughs> and then you hear him, on your spot, go! You're like, oh no, here we go. Sprinting <laughs> <laughs> as fast as you can to your little black spot on the gym floor. Yeah, I went. I got hired by a, a city called Anna. Uh, excuse me, Hialeah, which is down near Miami, and we did. That was the first ever actual orientation. So we were, you know, hired by that department, and they had a bunch of people that then be hadn't been to fire academy or what they call EMT, emergency medical technician, and so they sent them all off to school, which was three months worth of training. And we were all certified, the other half of the class. So they were like, all right, we'll just beat the hell out of you for three months in the Miami heat. So it reminds me a lot of, of what you're talking about. They started adding gear to the end. We were doing pull-ups with full fire gear, the pack on your back. And yeah, it was it was awful, but we became so close. And again, that, that brought us together. And I've still got friends from that. It was my first apartment in 2004, so a long time ago yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you're right, though. It's those shared moments where you're <coughs> you know, hanging out you don't think you've got anything left, but you're looking at the bloke next to you and you're thinking, you look at him in the eyes and you know he's hurting as much as you are. And then I think to myself, am I hurting the most out of all these people here? Nah, I'm not. Let's keep going. Like, you know, and you, you know, you've got to redo your commando test as well as a PTI. So you do them once as a recruit. And then if you don't go physical training instructor, you'd never do those commando tests again. But being a PTI, you have to lead by example and you redo them all to a, to a faster, to a faster standard as well. And I've, I think the weekend before my um, commando test, I got an infection from the endurance course. And I actually got rushed into hospital on the Thursday afternoon or the Friday afternoon. And I woke up on the Saturday with an IV drip banged into me. And I was like, what the hell's going on here? They're like, oh, you had an infection. Your heart, your your body temperature was nearly 40. And I was like, rushed in by a blue light to, to hospital. And I was like, what day is it? Like, it's Saturday. And I was like, I need to get back to work. I've got commando tests on Monday morning. Like, nah, you're not leaving here, mate. And I was like, so I rang the course instructor. I was like, what happens if I don't turn up Monday because I'm in hospital? They're like, oh, you probably failed the course. I was like, <laughs> so I discharged myself on the Sunday morning, <laughs> went straight down to Limpston, and I did the command, I did the Tarzan assault course on the Monday morning, and I was on top of the 30-foot wall, which is the final obstacle, and I couldn't see, I couldn't hear, and I was on top of the, the wooden shelf like that, and I was like drooling, snotting, I'd never been in a worse place in my whole life but I was like I've got to get it done because I'm not failing 
Wow. That's amazing. It's funny. I hear many stories like that. You know, people got hairline fractures or all kinds of shit and they still push through. And I think that's what makes a great Royal Marine or SEAL or whatever it is. So, yeah, that. No, please. No, I was just saying that mental robustness, isn't it? Just to kind of like, you know, uh, uh, pick yourself up no matter what and just get it done, really. Yeah. And it's different. Obviously, you know, as, as I'm sure it was with you, once you've qualified, then you start looking at rest and recovery a little differently because otherwise you're going to be a liability. But when your job is on the line, like that higher layer place, they put us through this, they, they created an unwinnable uh, scenario for us. No one was physically going to be able to do it. Yeah. But, you know, people were puking in their masks and passing out and there was, you know, double IVs at the end. And and it was because we thought we were going to lose our jobs. And at the end, they were like, no, yeah. no, we're not. We're just fucking with you. But, <laughs> but thanks we, for pushing we, hard. <laughs> yeah, we just wanted to see how hard you physically push for your job. You're exactly. Like, yeah, well, I'd, I'd give it my life, if I'm honest. Exactly. Yeah. That's pretty much it. I mean, a lot of us were, yeah, we're, I mean, cooking to death in those damn suits. <laughs> well, I want to get to your deployment because something that I preface every time I have someone who's been in combat, I don't know if it's the same back home um, because I've always kind of revered the BBC as giving <laughs> kind of good middle of the road uh, information, but certainly here you get a very polarized perspective of war, either very pro-war, like rah, 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 you know, kill them all, let God sort them out, or a very anti-war, they're all baby killers. And so in the meantime, you've got men and women on the ground, you know, fighting and dying for their country. So it's a kind of two-part question. The first part, despite of the politics that sent, you know, our men and women to, uh, overseas to send you to, to where you end up in, in Iraq, was there a moment when you were over there where you saw, you know, atrocities, maybe even to, to the Afghani people themselves or, you know, what was happening to your brothers that made you realize, regardless of why I'm here now, I realize there are some horrible people that need to be taken care of? Yeah, yeah, difficult question. Um, atrocities, yeah, hard things to see, yeah. Um, you know, they're... You know, do I agree with the reasons that we were there? You know, I don't know. I'm not a politician. Um, but all I can do is deal with the cards that I've been dealt. You know, you write the, write the factors down. What can I control? Right. What can't I control? Cross them off. I can't control why we're there. So why do I even want to bother about it? I'm there. So I've got to protect the guys next to me. Um, and, and likewise, they'll be protecting me. And we're, we're, we're here. We've been sent here to do a job. Um, you know, and I, f I feel proud. You know, the Afghan people had 20 years of democracy. Women were voting. Women were playing football. Um, you know, I've, I was. It's a, it's a good period, and I feel proud to be a part of that. You know how we've how we've left it is again. I'm not going to get too hooked up on it because you know I put pressure on me, and I don't feel like I need that pressure to have. You know, people always ask, especially when you've been there. People always want to know what your opinion is. Uh, mate, I was I was a soldier on eight hundred and ninety quid a month. I don't really have a point of view in terms of the political aspects, right? I was there. I did what I was told to do to the best of my ability, uh, and and then I've come home, you know. And yes, I saw some of the worst things in my life that have changed my life um, for the better. Probably not, no. Um, but I've also I've also got some friends from those deployments that I will trust. I just trust. I just trust for my life because I know that they'd be there, you know. So it's um, it's tough. It's a tough. It's a tough question. I really don't know how to give you the best answer on that. No, know? but that is the best answer. That's 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 my point. Is that you know, there as we talked about before we started recording, uh, my dad wanted me to be a PTI when I was you know 
in my teens and it was right after the Falklands War. And even, you know, through my naive young eyes, I was kind of having this realization, okay, wait, so someone in the House of Parliament can make a decision and send all of us over to war, you know, that, and then obviously post World War II, that was, uh, you know, an event that absolutely I would have signed up for with, you know, with a heartbeat. So just kind of becoming aware of that. But what I see with, these last few conflicts, especially I guess from Vietnam onwards, is that you also get this thing where our men and women are sent overseas and then there's no support, no appreciation, no gratitude. Um, so I think it's important that we hear the stories from the people that were actually there because we don't very often. The news usually gets some, you know, ding dong in a suit rattling off some political bullshit. Meanwhile, our men and women are over there, you know, fighting for their lives. Yeah, no, you're you're right. I think you know, I was on um, Potter, which is your break in between. I'd done uh, about four months, and I was out in the safe house. And I remember I was extremely drunk because that's all I knew how to do um, in terms of a coping mechanism. And I remember I was in a, a pub in my local town, and some girl said to me, "I know your fucking friends are dying. You're all fucking cunts." Last night, went to just punch her because I didn't know what I was doing. Luckily, my civvy friends, or some of my best school friends, like grabbed me and took me home and calm me down, but they didn't really know what to do. They didn't know what I was experiencing. That girl probably didn't know what the effects of really what she had saying, considering I'd watched some of my friends die at that point, you know? So, you know, those words are real to people who've experienced that scenario, you know? And it's, um, it's, it's, it's really tough because you get this utmost admiration from your close friends who absolutely adore everything you've done and, uh, and the reasons why, but then you get this, just this, these people, people that just don't have any comprehension or understanding, and they don't, you know, give you respect. And I don't ask for the respect, but you know, I had, I did what I did because it was what my job role was. I didn't do it because I wanted to go and do that. I wanted to join the War Marines. And I wanted to become a soldier because I didn't feel like I had a lot of op- opportunities in life that were going to lead me down to being a lawyer or lead me down the case of you know being an influential figure in, in Parliament. I was probably never going to be destined to to be that kind of person. And I was one of those lost, broken kids that the military saved. Um, and also has given me numerous issues to deal with later on in life, but it also has saved me and, and made me the man I am today. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a real hard conversation, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've had some really unique perspectives on it, too. There's a, a gentleman, Major Capers, who was uh, one of the original Marine recon, U.S. Marines in Vietnam. And yeah. he was, you know, very, very critically injured and was lying on on the airfield tarmac, on the, uh, on the cement there, um, back in the U.S., waiting to be transported to the U.S. hospital. And someone came over and pissed on him. Open wounds and everything. Pissed on him while he's there on the airport floor. Yeah. Now, conversely, yeah. I had um, Dr. Edith Eager, who was in Auschwitz, and she even yeah. had to dance for Joseph Mengele, and she was what? liberated by, you know, the the U.S. The military. Soldier. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you yeah, have, so, yeah. you know, you have people that are alive because of, you know, and as you said, you had people, whether it was temporary, people in in different countries that benefited from this and of course as people that it was worse that we occupied as well but the men and women that we're asking to go you know defend firstly defend complete strangers in a different country and secondly you know proactively supposedly stopping it bleeding over into the uk and the us we absolutely have to have gratitude for that but sadly it's that out of sight out of mind and then you watch some fucking dipshits on tv you know politicizing 
and it completely disregards the sacrifice that our men and women are actually making on the ground. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Like, you know, I, I understand if you're not if you're not pro war. If I'm honest, right now in this particular moment, I'm not pro war. Yeah, I'm I not go back. No, anyway, no one back. should be pro war. You know what I mean? No, do you know what I mean? But you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be actively seeking war or anything like that. I've, 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 it's, 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 it's a horrible fucking experience. It's, it's, it's something that is not human. To go and actively hunt another human is not something that we should probably be doing, and especially in this day and age. And that will give you side effects on that later on. It doesn't matter if it's in one year or 25 years. At some point, you're going to have some overwhelming emotions. But what? You know, these people, I understand that you're not for it, but don't take it out on the men and women that are, that are just just a number, you know, because remember, most of us in the military were just numbers. We were just a P063927 Mike, and that was me. That was it. That was who. That's who I was at that particular moment in my life. And uh, you know, don't you know? It's hard, and it? it's hard at the end of the day because you know, politics is just a black hole in this in this world at the moment because they're only interested in themselves. Absolutely, one hundred percent. The the ultimate fact is. They're all liars. They're only interested in themselves. So I don't. I try not to get too involved in all of that. You know, you know, you know. Everybody always wants to know why. What do you think about us leaving Afghan? I'm like, don't know, mate. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, conversely, the other part of that initial question, where you know we're in Afghanistan, we're in you know Iraq, and again another blanket statement is, oh, we're at war with Afghanistan. We're at war with Iraq. Where obviously we're not. We're at, you, know, you guys were out there hunting extremists who were terrorizing yeah. their own countries. So yeah. were there any moments amidst all this combat of kindness and compassion that you witnessed? Yeah. Uh, just trying to, I'm just trying to think back. Like, you know, we didn't, I didn't see a lot of the local people because the areas that we're in, a lot of the local people had abandoned it because for obvious reasons, because who wants to live in, a, in an area where people were trying to kill each other? Um, but, you know, we used to, you know, I used to see our, we used to help that the, the Afghan people in terms of like medication and stuff like that. So in, in all honesty, you know, we'd help rebuild homes if we had to, we'd help do anything. I'd help them do anything that they needed to rescue the dogs that have been misabused, help people out that have been abused, help the kids out that were ill or been caught up in conflict. Um, so there is a lot of good, but unfortunately the areas that I was in, I didn't get to reap the rewards of seeing the good, you know, I suppose you went to Kabul and you can see women working in, in you know, women wearing normal clothes or working in high role jobs and playing sport and stuff like that. I think, you know, those were awards I didn't physically, personally get to experience. You know, a lot of it, the time I was there, it was very heavily heavily focused on on the mission, which was, you know, trying to suppress the Taliban and get, get the country back for their, for their people. Yeah. Well, again, I appreciate both of those perspectives because it's so important. And I'm not, I'm not a member of the military. You know, I've been a, a yeah. firefighter my whole career. So I've never served yeah. in that capacity. So it's so important. And now I don't know how many members of military have been on here, but it's 542 episodes now, I think. So probably at least a good third of that are yeah. stories from the men and women of all generations. I got a World War II vet coming on, hopefully. Um, you know, that, that talk about what it was actually like, you know, from the people yeah. that were there. Um, Yes, exactly. So I want to get to the PTI role and then we'll get to your transition out. So um, through a PTI lens, like when I was young, you know, you talked about the 
the kind of exercising and having those sport there, you know, it was kind of like the bodybuilding era. So, you know, all the, yeah. the local sports centers, it was all the pec deck and the preacher curl and all that stuff. So what have you seen? What did you see through your military career, especially when you were in the PTI role of the genesis of the way you train Royal Marines? Do you know what? It's, it's, it's tried and tested. Everything that we do has been done for hundreds and hundreds of years before we did it. We just perfected it, took the things out that weren't pr- productive for a Royal Marines recruit and we replaced it with an exercise that is. Do you know what I mean? I always think Royal Marines recruits are some of the strongest and fittest recruits worldwide. You know, they do pull-ups and rope climbing. It, it is arduous, you know? The one thing that, from my perspective, when I was a PTI, I'd like to have seen more of, or even as a recruit, and now I look back on it, I'd like to have done more, like, unilateral stabilisation with some weights, like, squats, split squats, deadlifts, lunges and stuff like that for injury prevention. Um, that would be my only thing. But I know now that the guys who are my generation that are in the positions of power to be able to make change, I know that those boys are making change. So that makes me kind of proud to to know that. Like, do you know what I mean? Um, and like I say, times do move on and strength and conditioning is, is an art nowadays. It's not just a case of waking up in the morning, thrashing someone to their absolute eyes bleed. That sometimes is appropriate. But sometimes we need to be, you know, I always say it doesn't need to be destructive to be productive. And for those people out there, especially people come from the military that come to my gym, all they want to do is absolutely destroy their lives. But I'm like, no, this is bad education. I was the same. All I did was thrash, 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 thrash. Now I'm like, well, actually, I need two days easy. So that that is slowly filtering into the Royal Marines. And they're, they're an intelligent bunch of people, you know, the most educated force in the world. 75% plus of Marines are qualified to be an officer in terms of education. So that is, you know, incredible. I think when I was a section commander at uh, Lima Company, I was the only one out of eight that didn't have a degree at the time. You know, so they're educated people. And it's just tried and tested methods, bottom field, gym, the same standards. They haven't changed. It's it's very easy to be a PTI because you know what you've got to do because hundreds of people have done it for you before and left you the, the evidence to do it. Beautiful. Yeah, that less is more seems to come up more and more often. So, you know, I think that's the one thing I've always used CrossFit in that way, like an hour in a gym and I'm out because, you know, you can look at some people like gym rats. Well, yeah, if you're competing in the CrossFit games, you're probably going to be spending hours doing it. But you can also get so much out of one hour, you know, four or five times a week. Um, but even in the combat sports, I mean, I, I did, you know, Muay Thai and that kind of stuff for a, quite a while. And back in the day, it was just getting the living shit kicked out of you over and over again. Now you look at the MMA world. I don't know if it's the same in boxing. I'm sure it is. There's a lot of very, very light sparring, a lot of pad work, and all the heavy stuff is really done actually in the ring now. So you're seeing that less is more kind of reverberate through all the you know, athletic and tactical athletic populations. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, building these people up for injury prevention is the key because the standards of the tests that you've got to do within the Royal Marines and the sessions that you've got to do, they're arduous. They are hard and they will break you if you're not adequately prepared. You know, strength is the key to being a good tactical athlete. And I, I don't even really argue with people on that. And I say, I'm joining the Royal Marines. I'm like, right, show me your deadlift, show me your squat. How do you move? Show me your lunges. Right, that your left leg is completely weak. How do you expect to yomp across a more with a 150-pound burden if you can't do a, a step up correctly on your left leg? You're like, oh yeah, I suppose that is a good thing it's not about running five minute miles you know it's about being strong it's about endurance and i think that you know the kids are a lot more educated nowadays which is brilliant and the, the you know the, the raw marines is a lot more educated which is 
which is fantastic. You know, they, they, and I'm, I, I totally agree. I'll stand by this, that the soldier that they produce now in the modern era of war Marines is a far more capable person than I was when I passed out. I was too scared to breathe. You know, fear was the main derivative of why I did stuff. You know, also you learn, don't get me wrong, I learned a lot. My, my such commanders and my corporals were amazing, but there was always just that complete element of fear that they're going to de- destroy my life if I don't get this right. You know, so I was always like, kind of like always anxious or worried about stuff. Whereas the kids that are passed out now, yes, they don't maybe ha- get thrashed as much, but it's when it's appropriate, they get thrashed. But when it's not, they get taught and they get educated and they become a better soldier because of that or they become better at exercise because of that. You know, so that's the evolution, which is really, really cool to see. Yeah, no, I think that that mentorship is another big thing. And even, um, I mean, some of the guests, I just had a guy, Patrick McCowan, on yesterday, um, who is one of like the breath gurus and just things like nasal yeah. breathing. Like that's been revolutionary for me. Now, now you look at a profession that has all the air in the world strapped to their back. Breath control was kind of a big deal, whether it's the stress response, whether it's the actual cardiovascular fitness. And that was never discussed in my whole career. So... There are elements of sports science now that we're applying to our professions, making, as you said, even better athletes. Yeah, you think you look at, you look to in the Royal Marines, we do a lot of Arctic training. So we go to Norway, minus 20, minus 30, minus 40 conditions, horrendous. And you do, you jump in the cold water for fun. Now, no one teaches you what to do and how to control your breathing. You've got to, you've got to get in the water. You've got to control your breathing. You've got to say, I'm P0639, you might really want a permission to leave the ogging. And some bloke will go, no, you're not been in there long enough. And you're like, oh. it's trying to control your breathing. So, like, you know, breath work, something that I take a lot of time to, to do nowadays as well. But, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. If you could go back to being 18, you know, if I go back to being 18 now, it'd be unfair on life because I'd know what to do. You know, but I think that's part and parcel of, you know, of being someone or becoming someone is is learning and developing you continuously. Because if you know everything from 18, it's going to be pretty boring because you're going to know what to do, aren't you? Yeah. You know, with, with highs come lows and with extreme lows come extreme highs. You know, war is like that. You get extreme periods of intensity. You get extreme periods of lowness. You get extreme periods of like, you're laughing and you're giggling or you're, you, you, you're crying when you're off. Like, you know, it's life is like that, you know, and to take that away and, you know, be always cool to go back and know what you know at 18, but it'd be a bit boring, I think. Yeah, and no, I agree. And that's where the mentorship comes in. You know, the people that have been yeah. through the crucible and come out the other side help teach the young people, of which some they'll disregard until they learn the lessons themselves, but hopefully some yeah. they'll take. Yeah, but you're right. You know, some people will learn these lessons and subconsciously apply them to a scenario you know, and never know that they've learned that lesson, which is cool. That's what you want, isn't it? You know, you don't need to be graphed. You don't need to be thanked every time you teach someone how to do something. You know what I mean? We, we're humans. We should, you should want to help everybody progress. You know what I mean? I always say, like Mark and I always say, you know, Mark creates a big wave because he's a, everybody loves him at the moment. He's an influential figure and he's an absolute legend of a human being. And he's created this massive wave and he's like, you know, I'm on there riding it with him. If he kicked me off, we wouldn't be friends, would we? Do you know what I mean? If someone's creating something and you're creating a wave and you're, your mates are trying to like jump on the back of that and create something out of it as well, and you're kicking them off. They ain't your friends. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're not teaching you anything. You know, that's that's the greatest part about being human, isn't it? Or having that, being in a position that you can that you can give. You know, I love it. I love giving. You know, I think it's, you know, giving education, advice to the young lads, whatever it is. Because no matter what they think they've done, I've been there and I've done it and I've probably done it a lot worse than you did, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. We talked about the highs and the lows of war. So before we get to the actual transition out, did you notice yourself struggling at all while you were still in? Um, yeah, uh, yes and no. I think, you know, I, uh, you know, a great friend of mine, Lee, um, who I served with in Afghanistan with Herrick Five, um, we're both from reconnaissance trip together in 2011. Uh, at the end of 2011, I got admitted to um, DCMA Straight, which is a mental health clinic. Because um, basically, I had drinking issues, anger issues. Uh, I had family issues. I had unresolved, probably childhood issues that I didn't realise at the time. And I was just an angry person and didn't really know. You know, and at the same time, he was going through a very similar battle from Afghanistan, etc. And you know, tried to um, take his own life, but someone found him and saved him. Now, Lee and I would see each other on camp every single day and we'd be like, all right, mate, you know, fist bump, big handshakes, but we're both secretly sat in our rooms, depressed, drinking. But we don't see that as a problem at the time. You know, I mean, now I look back at it, I'm thinking, shit, I need to go and apologise to a load of people from my past that when I was out drinking all that stuff, that wasn't who I am today, you know? That's not, that wasn't a true reflection of me. That was a lost person that didn't know really how to cope with emotion anger and use drinking and probably being an arsehole to a lot of people as compensation for that you know it's like yeah it's hard isn't it yeah well i mean i talk about this a lot you know we're not too dissimilar in age i mean obviously i'm older but you know our generations um you know were raised with this kind of facade of what masculinity is you know, that you are, you know, you're, you're Highlander, I mean, not Highlander, what the hell, Braveheart, you know, you're John Wayne, you're insert, you know, Sean Connery. They never yeah. cry, they, you know, they just, you know, they backslap women, you know, backhand women, and it's all good. And it's like, Jesus Christ, when you look back at the definition of what a man was versus a real, true man, like, you couldn't be further from the truth. And I always point to Band of Brothers, the show, the real soldiers talk at the end. I mean, they're in their you know, 80s by that point. And they're still tearing up, thinking about who they lost, thinking about, you know, all, all the elements of war. And so, you know, I've used this analogy a lot recently. I think of it as a yin-yang. The soft part, the gentle part of, of us is what took us into the military or into yeah. first responder. We want to make a difference. We want to help. We want to protect. But then when we get in, it's like we buy into that facade of, oh, it's just manly man, always hard, you know, and then not only you lose your compassion to other people, as you said, through, you know, alcohol and everything else, but you also lose compassion for yourself and you start having that everyone else is fine. I'm being a giant pussy. What the fuck is wrong with me? I'm a burden. I may as well just end it. And that downward spiral begins instead of actually giving yourself the, the forgiveness. Like I was a normal person i entered the military the first responder professions saw and did horrible shit of course there's going to be a fucking repercussion of that in my mind i need to give myself the the grace to actually heal from all the things i was asked to do yeah yeah no yeah you're right and i think you know some things you're not asked to do some things you just have to do it's part of your job role isn't it you know no one wants to um go to war and try and take another man's life you know but that's a part of a job world they built you up to do, you know, they, and they very successfully do that to young men and women. And it's very easy to make you have that monostructural thinking of what you're going to go and do. And I think I look back on life now, I think as an older, wise man with grey 
grey hair on my beard finally starting to come through um, I think to myself oh, you, you do get blinded in these environments and you know like at what point did not talking just be a normal thing in, in, especially in the military at what point in the military did we just drink every, every night when I, when, we, when I was in the military especially as a young lad we drank every single night like I didn't have a night off drinking we just drank that's all we did, you know? And then we'd go and perform fears. Then we'd go and exercise and go in the field and do sexual attacks. <laughs> it's no wonder I didn't speak to anyone until I was like 25, 26, you know? You know, I think I had a, an incident where I was aggressive in town, etc. And I think that was one of the final points for me. And you know, I broke down one of my, front of my sergeant major at the time, who was probably one of the hardest men I've ever met in my whole life. Um, and he actually showed some compassion and cares, which was yeah, pretty incredible, really. Um, yeah, so that was, and, and understood, obviously, deep down, he must have just understood, you know, so that is, that's uh, something I'll always be grateful for. Well, back to the, um, the um, treatment centre, the mental health centre, what kind of treatments did you, were you given and did you find any improvement after that? So we did um, like uh, rapid eye movement was a big thing when I was going for it, uh, you know. And then I did like um, a basket weavers course, call that. So why not just drink alcohol for two weeks? Don't organise a course, piss up on it because you probably get kicked off, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I just think I learned to, you know, manage my expectations of how I should feel, and actually it was okay to be angry and to be confused and be upset. Blah blah blah. It's it's okay ultimately. Um, I don't think like, you know, I always think to myself, am I going to let go of the memories that I keep close to my chest that make me upset all the time? I don't know if I'll ever let go of them. I don't know if I'll ever be able to let go of them. You know, they're like, oh, we just, what we need to do is pass that memory into the rear lobe so it doesn't get stuck in the frontal lobes and you'll live a happy life ever after. Well, fucking bullshit. Bullshit. Because you can go, I can go a year without even thinking about it all of a sudden I'm in tears. You know, I come home from watching James, blooming James Bond and I can't stop thinking about it. And I'm driving home with a tear running from the corner of my eye going, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Do you know? But I'm old enough now to know that that's a temporary feeling of pity or, 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 or anger or whatever it is. I know that will go and I know that there is still a lot to be positive for in life. You know, and I think it's, you know, mental health is a big thing nowadays. Um, I think, yeah, just, I think the most important thing I think I've learned is talk about it. I'm a far better human being now. I talk about it than when I didn't. I just drank. Yeah. Well, speaking of, of drinking, the thing, another thing that I've just, again, become educated in the last few years is sleep deprivation. So every night that we drink is a night we're robbing for, of our sleep, which then creates yeah. another layer of, of mental health challenges because, you know, we heal not only our body. I mean, you know, that's why a lot of us get hurt if we don't sleep too. But, you know, your, your brain literally kind of resets. It has a bath, like this fluid bath when we sleep. And so if we're drinking, we're not getting that deep sleep. We're not restoring. So then we're chipping away at that mental health side too. I think also on that aspect, so I used to get not very nice dreams. So I'd try and drink to not drink, if that makes sense. So it's a double-edged weapon, either way you look at it, isn't it? Yeah. You know, your minds are, you know, pity and anger and sorrow. They're such powerful emotions that they're just, you could just rotate them continuously like that for your whole life. But it's breaking that. And when that cycle starts again, it's breaking it. We're having that 
ability to be able to break it. You know, for me, it's exercise. Without exercise, I'd be I'd be a horrible human being, I imagine, because exercise is my break in that cycle. If I'm feeling shit or whatever, I get that barbell out, I get that row out, I do 45 minutes, an hour of training, and I'm boom, I'm back in, I'm positive, I've broken that self-perpetuating cycle of self-pity or whatever you feel like you are about yourself. That's just, that's just feelings, that's not you. You've just got to fucking find the breaking point and break it as soon as humanly possible because they're so strong, it's so easy to get caught up in those emotions. And forget about the the, the ha- forget about being happy, like you know, love, friendship, compassion, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, when you said with the flashbacks too, I mean, that's that's something I didn't have a, a lot, but I had a really interesting kind of exposure to it. Um, oh God, only what three years ago now. I years ago, early in my career, I had this horrible traffic accident, um, and this little little girl, like three years old, was I'll say it, she was decapitated. And, you know, I had a, a little boy who was about one and a half by that point. So very similar. Car seat was the same, same position in the car. I mean, it was fucking awful. Um, and uh, years and years and years later, I was just in Disney and someone just went by with a stroller. And because it was hot, they had a blanket over the stroller. And this little girl, the the unit before us had covered the body with this blanket. And there's these little same little legs sticking out at the bottom of the stroller with the same blanket over it. And I just was like, fuck. And this adrenal like torrent just came over me. And I told my wife, I'm like, I just need to sit down. I didn't, you know, break down or anything, but I was like, fucking hell. That was just like immediately back to that, that scene, you know, 10 plus years prior. But I think that's very important that you said, like, you know, we can do so much to heal. We can do so much to make things better. There's so many elements. We'll get to your swimming, for example. Um, but it's not going to make it go away. You had to take a life. I saw lives snuffed out fucking senselessly over and over and over again. It's always going to be there because it doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense to the way that humans were designed to, to function. Mm, no, I, no, I, yeah, I totally agree. And it's that, it's finding for me, it's finding that, um, that, that, that break, the breaking of that cycle. I always say for me is exercise. It's just exercise. And it's just, it's as simple as that. Like, you know what I mean? It's as simple as that for me. Yeah. Without it, without it, God knows. But, you know, or jujitsu, swimming, you know, swimming has been big in my life in the last five years, massive. And, you know, and that transition to Sibby Street, and I'll, I'll dive into that a little bit more and tell you why that swim group or you know save my life you know please go those, let's, let's, let's walk through that road now cool so yeah obviously i decided met my wife um and decided that you know i didn't want to be away continuously let's look at statistics marriage in the Royal marines and that is not very successful i think like 75 to 80 percent of marriages end in divorce so i thought i'll stay in or, and to be honest with you, I'd had enough. I wanted to be out of that environment. Um, I got to the point where I felt like I outgrew the Royal Marines. And I don't mean that in a horrible way or like a big-headed way. But I felt like I got to the point where my experience and who I was didn't matter. It, it came down just to purely rank or act in a certain way to become a rank. And I was like, that's not me as a human being. I don't want to be that. And I don't want to go into that next job role for me. I had no aspirations to go higher up within the War Marines. So I made that decision to leave. Um, and then, you know, I was a hard, it's, it's hard. So I remember I said I was doing a veterans uh, transition TV program last week and I was talking about it. I left camp. I think the unit was away on exercise, shook my hand, 
um, walked out of camp, got in my car, drove home, sat outside the car and cried for about 25 minutes. So I was like, what the fuck do I do now? Obviously, it was my decision to leave, but that didn't make it any, that doesn't make it any easier that I've left. And I just sat there in the car, overwhelmed in emotion, didn't know what to do, didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I just knew I didn't want to be in the Marines anymore because I just felt, for me, for me, I felt that was the right time to leave. Um, and I just cried, cried and cried and cried in that car, which is, you know, something that I don't admit too often. I've never told too many people that, actually. I think I've, I've mentioned it like maybe four times in the last couple of years. Um, and then, basically, I worked the doors as a doorman, standard, love a good scrap. Um, so it's a, it's a natural progression. I had my close protection badge that I did before I left anyway, did some security, did some CP work on the sides. Uh, then I started working for a local gym. Um, I remember I was working for a local gym. I was like, oh, I'm former Roman commando PTI. You know, I've done all this and that. They're like, yeah, Steve down there is cheaper than you though. And I'm like, but I don't understand what you mean. Steve's, Steve's background, he's not, he's just done a level three PT course. And he's, you know, I'm, I, I, I felt like, you know, and I'm not taking away. Steve's not a real person, by the way. That <laughs> Fuck Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm Steve. But I'm not taking away from what Steve is. And he, you know, I'm sure that there's there's many and there's amazing PTs and there's amazing guys. You know, Devin, one of my coaches, finished uni, and he's fucking he's he's brilliant. 22 years old, head screwed on. I wish I had that sort of mentality at his age. But I was like, I, I, I'm a somebody. I was a somebody. I was a warring commander, physical training instructor. I walked around camp in my white vest, and people would, you know clean the ground in front of you you know you've made it like you know it's one of the best branches to be in it's like it's it's everything it's the pinnacle of that of that organization you know if 0.01% get into the Royal Marines then 0.0001% become PTIs or even probably less than that like you know and there I am five pound an hour trying to charge myself up for PT in a gym you know working the doors till four or five o'clock in the morning starting the gym at six o'clock in the morning um I made myself really ill. I made myself really ill. I remember I just, one day I went home on the sofa, I threw up and I think I've done it for about eight, nine months. So I hadn't taken a day off. I'd work on Sunday nights, everything just to try and get some money in because you leave a well-established job and I was just trying to establish myself. And that was, that was, that was a hard, hard time to like sort of be alive for myself because you don't have any purpose at that point. I'm like, well, what the fuck, what am I doing this for? Who am I doing it for? You know? Ultimately, I fell in love with the gym and that environment and helping people and training young men to become Royal Marines and women as well. And, you know, people join the RAF or, you know, everything. I really, I loved that. And I loved helping people. So I was like, well, I wouldn't make a, make a good go in this. Um, and unfortunately, I made some bad business decisions in life by trusting people that, you know, leave the military. You trust everybody in the military. Whole, wholeheartedly, if one of my mates walked through the door now and asked me to go and walk to the end of the world with him, I would because I trust his decision and it's the right decision that he's made, you know? Um, but you take that trust into the real world and it can quite easily get manipulated and, 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 and destroyed. So we set us up a gym with someone spent like four years building this gym and this brand that I created. It was all my idea. Everything was mine, you know, and this, the, this person has tried to pass it off theirs and it, it, it destroyed my life. It really, really broke me if I'm honest. Uh, I left that um, that place in 2019, early 2019, and I struggled for that whole year. You know, the birth of my daughter happened that year, and I still I still struggle with that whole year. 
and it was really hard. I got a normal job, um, loved it, selling motorcycles, and I just like being interactive with people. But deep down, I wasn't happy at all, and I was going through like a really hard period. Like, and then when you go through hard times, all the shit that is deep down goes, "Hey, mate, I'm still here." Let me drag it down a little bit further. And you're like, Jesus Christ. Okay, all right, you know. Um, but swimming, the swim group, loads of ex-bootnecks, loads of uh, civvies that I know now that on a real close personal level that that, that were there for me that, that whole period. And swimming was the, the consistency in my life. Getting in the sea twice a week was one of the biggest consistent things in my life that <laughs> kept me going, to be honest. Well, when you speak of the the door work, it reminds me I had uh, Jeff Thompson on, and when I was young, he wrote um, you know a bunch of books, Mind the Door, and some other ones. And uh, when I circle around, I was like, oh, I forgot about that guy. And, and we came on. Jeff has this. I mean, he's a completely different person now because he had this mind blowing aha moment with his mental health journey, and he actually was molested by his martial arts teacher when he was a, a young boy, and so pushing that down driving that deep down the guilt the shame from that violence working the door had actually been one of his unhealthy coping mechanisms so with you transitioning out you've lost your tribe you've lost your purpose you've lost your community you've lost your identity did you find some sort of um element of that when you were working the door that the violence almost gave you some of that adrenaline and allowed you to forget some of the shit that was going on in your head for a moment yeah yeah it does you know it, it does to a certain point and then all of a sudden you just go, I am done with this. You know, it's a job where you do see the worst in human beings. And then I was contemplating like, I, I hate people, especially drunk people. Then you, you know, like you said, the violence is a big part of that role. And I used to work in Nuki in a club in there and it was a particularly shitty club to work in, if I'm honest. Um, when you could guarantee that you're always going to have a decent tear up, like, you know, and I, I say I was, one of those boats who would get on the fucking bar and I would jump head first into the middle of the brawl, you know. But yeah, you know, probably on a deep down level, you know, I can remember coming home in a white shirt. I've been at a big gig doing that, uh, doing that, working on the venue and I had claret everywhere. I mean, I want my claret, but like literally claret everywhere. My white shirt was ruined and I put it in the bin. <laughs> so yeah, really, you know, violence is a, violence is a thing that can tame things can it you know but it's not a productive feeling to tame depression with because it'll only lead to worse things i think absolutely well getting to some of the the healthy you know outlets that you found um tell me more about the swimming because i know that there are several elements you talked about the norwegian training and i actually had uh, wim hoff on the show a few weeks ago so you know cold exposure therapy and breath work um but you know there's another guy um uh, don and prime that came on two guys that have a thing called deep end fitness and they do a lot of the underwater you know carrying weights and that kind of thing that you see laird hamilton doing as well and there's an element that they talked about of the pressure of the water when they're deep as well almost like a kind of comfort blanket element so what did you find you know tell me again as you said come hell or high water you're doing the swim but what did you find about some of the therapeutic elements of this swim and the community that you've built with the swim you know what so it's, I, I couldn't i was a roman commando amphibious soldier and i could hardly swim to put that there really i had a physical trainer that used to teach swimming and i still couldn't swim very well <laughs> um so it started with me and two other bootnecks and a Navy guy, 
uh, just going for a swim once a week to work on the weaknesses. And then, it, then I started swimming every Sunday. And then random people would message me like, oh, bootnecks, I hadn't seen from Afghan for 10 years. Like, pink, I'll come for a swim. And I was like, yeah, man. Every Sunday, half seven, rain or shine. And it grew. And then I met Simon, who's a really close friend of mine, who's one of the guys that I run Free Boys with. He moved down from London. His dad passed away when he was young. And he had his own troubles and issues that he was dealing with. And I had my own troubles and issues that I was dealing with. And we'd swim every week. And what I love about swimming, right, is you get this beautiful sense of community before you start the swim where everybody's apprehensive and nervous about getting in the water because it's going to be cold or it's stormy or it's just you, you get there and it's just absolutely like a mill pond and the sun is coming up and it's probably one of the most beautiful views you'll ever see in the world and you're all buzzing to get in the water. So either way, there's, a, there's something in the air that, that brings you together in that, that initial thing. And then you get in the water and what I love about swimming is I'm there with a group of people going through a hardship, but I'm on my own. I can have my own little space. And if it's choppy and it's rough, all I've got to worry about is surviving and breathing. That's all I've got to worry about. And I'm concentrating on my technique to make it more efficient. Um, the wave's coming in, I can't take a breath. I'm like, oh, all right, back under. Shit, when am I going to get my next breath? You know what I mean? And then back out. And then you like get down to the boy. You're like, bloody hell, it's choppy. And you have a little chat there, swim back to the other end, get out. It's cold get that photo together everybody huddles in for that photo and then straight down for a cup of tea and that's where the magic happens of that that group is where people are like your i don't know you know people watching this might think i'll be a bit like over the top about it but i truly believe after you've had that shared hardship people's people open up differently to people that they that they, they know but they don't know that all of a sudden that relationship just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and they're like well I'm struggling because when I was young my, my dad died or my mum died and then these blokes like oh my, my one of my best friends died in theatre war when I was in Afghanistan and all of a sudden you've got this common interest which is swimming you've got this ability to be able to go and share a hardship together and then you've got like stories that you can help each other and build each other back up do you know what I mean and that's No, no. Firstly, it doesn't sound over the top at all because, again, as you touched on earlier, it's shared suffering. And it's the same as that, you know, reloading the hose on the fire engine element. And it really kind of parallels. uh, I had a guy, Tom Hewitt, who's British, but he works. um, He created a a foundation called uh, Surfers Not Street Children. And in South Africa, um, you're a lot of orphans, you're a lot of kids who lost their parents to, you know, whether it was violent crime, whether it was HIV, whatever it was. Um, and an irony that actually, I guess, the the white South Africans had kind of made the the black South Africans think that there were sea monsters in the ocean. I don't know if it was originally from them or, or if it was something they believed for a long time. But anyway, they were scared of the ocean. So he would get these kids, get them confident swimming and then get them surfing to the point where some were actually on the national circuit, like, you know, great, great surfers. But what he talked about is they would go out and swim and surf. And then after that session, then they would sit down on the beach and they would start talking to the kids. And that was a kind of, you know, impromptu counseling session. So you had the physical exertion, you had the seawater, you had, you know, the fresh air, the sunlight, the community. And then after they'd had that exertion, that just like you said with your cup of tea, there was such a, a better environment for kids to start opening up about what they were going through. Yeah. Yeah, no, and you're right. It's amazing um, the stories that people will tell you when you become close friends and you shared that that hardship and it is it is you know it is, it is actually magical 
you know. And now a lot of those guys from that swimming group helped me with uh, a lot of marks challenges. And now they've a lot of them started doing jujitsu together. Uh, so they're on their own individual journeys with jujitsu as well. And they're like, I've never felt better as a human being. I'm I'm learning. I'm challenging my body. I'm 40 years old. I'm in the best shape I've been in physically and mentally. I feel like if I had anything to say, I could say it to any one of these people. And that's a that's a legacy that I that I'm proud of leaving behind. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you talked about Mark. So Mark Ormer has been on the show a couple of times now um, and an incredible human being. You talk about just resilience, even the story of where he was left for dead in the helicopter and then someone noticed that he was still alive. And, and you know, know, yeah. this is insane. Yeah. So talk to me about when you met Mark and then, and then training him because, I mean, you know, Invictus Game and then numerous other incredible physical challenges. So, so when did that relationship start? And then talk to me about coaching a, an adaptive athlete that's missing three limbs. Yeah, so um, I met Mark, first of all, I met Mark through like friends of friends because um, we all used to drink <laughs> you know and we've all got those darker times when you come back and you're still in that cycle of going out boozing most nights and that's how you cope and that's when I first met Mark um, you know we didn't have a lot of interaction then I don't remember you know I've been out on a few nights out before then and we boozed a lot bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. I mean I think that you know I went through my own individual journey like, after that in terms of me personally Mark went through his own little his own bits on his personal journey. And uh, then he came to me before the second Invictus Games and he's like, Ben, uh, you know, um, we always chat on social media. I've commented saying amazing work, blah, 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 blah. Seen each other in Plymouth because we're from Plymouth and we'd always have a chat. And he's like, can you, can you help me? And I was like, right, yeah, of course. You know, so we sat down, um, we looked at the Invictus Games and then I was like looking at like, you know, I was, you know, I was like, okay, let's look at the Invictus Games. But really, reality for me, when Mark gave me the opportunity to train him, I'm just thinking longevity now. I'm thinking, you know, in 10 years' time, are you still going to be absolutely smashing things and doing stuff? And is that arm going to be capable of still keeping your life moving forward? Because that's 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 his last lifeline, isn't it, really? You know, so when we, we chatted and, you know what, it was yeah, instantly we just became really close friends and I've worked with Mark for like six, maybe seven years now. And I mean, that's not just like on and off. I mean, like every week, every week nearly, you know, we miss an odd week here where he's up filming for Amazon because he's big time now or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But we, we, we train every week, sometimes twice a week. Sometimes we go out on a bike ride with just me and him for four hours in doing preparation for this event. Sometimes we go down a swim ball, we swam for four hours, you know, and we've, naturally become close um training an adaptive athlete it's easy when it's mark if i'm honest you know because i'll throw something at him he'll do it i'll analyze it and go that's not working is it he goes not quite i'll like, try this he'll do that and he have he has trust and faith in me that i have the only intentions that i have is his health and well-being um and that's that's it i just want to keep him being him for as long as humanly possible, you know, and he needs to train to be strong for that to be possible. Um, and then I've trained another guy called Vinny, who's a double amputee from Iraq, fused right elbow. Um, got another guy, I trained Morgan, who cut his arm off with a saw at work. Um, you know, so I help a handful of uh, guys with limbs missing or disabilities. Um, it, it's, it's challenging, but it is easy because 
they just want to work and do the stuff that you give them to do. And that's it. And, I, and to be honest, I don't, I don't treat the sessions any differently. I just adapt the movement that we're going to do to fit them. That's it. Yeah. Well, that's why I love the term adaptive athlete. You know what I mean? I think that's, we talked about, you know, the pros of CrossFit and I've, I've done CrossFit for, I forget now, what's 16 years or something like that. Um, quite a while. And, uh, you know, I've seen this progression, but sadly that paralleled a lot of our, you know, conflict overseas. And so we started having amputees come back and then the prosthesis started getting better. But the innovation in that space and, and the incredible, levels of athleticism that we're seeing from some of our amputees and other you know other adaptive athletes whether it's cp or whatever yeah. it is um yeah. is amazing you know and then i think mark you know walks the walk with that you know metaphorically and literally yeah you know you're, you're right mate and like you say you know if you ever when you come down to Plymouth, you obviously have to come down and meet him but when you meet him you understand why he's just tenacious he does Everything he does, like, do you know what, mate? Swimming in the sea is a hard thing to do, right? Getting people to physically take that first step to come to a swim group and get in the sea is fucking hard, right? That bloke got down to the water's edge with me and I said, are you ready to go? And he went, yeah, come on then, mate, let's go. Hadn't even swam. Hadn't swam for three years at this point. Had a shitty fitting, shit wetsuit, like a gold wetsuit that wasn't custom made, had holes in it, wouldn't wear a glove like I told him to, wouldn't wear a swimming hat like I told him to. <laughs> Fucking got in the water and banged up 200 meter sea swim. You know, like that, that level of, I, I, I don't know how you, I don't know how you describe that ability to do that because, you know, as an able bodied person with all your limbs, you know, swimming, oh, I can swim, I can just float, I can even move my arms and legs. Well, yeah, swam for three years and you got one arm. How do you prepare yourself? What do you go through? I don't know. Yeah. Well, um, I, I had them. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, truly, truly amazing. But I also had uh, Bethany Hamilton on the show. She's the the young girl at the time had her arm bitten off by a shark. Yeah. And she not only got back on the board, but she didn't even won. go into the adaptive. You know, she was like, yeah, no, just I'm just going to. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to start, you know, whooping ass again like I was before. But again, yeah. just watching her journey and in her um, documentary of, yeah, you see her standing now, like, wow, she just jumped back on the board. No, it was, you know, months of frustration, her trying to even get past the first wave, the duck dive, all these things that you have to do because she was missing just one limb. And like you said, Mark's missing an arm and both of his legs. So, you know, I mean, to me, we're we're in such a leadership void at the moment in the UK, in the US, in Australia, you know, just so many people that we pay a lot of money to supposedly lead that are absolutely fucking awful. And then you see people like Mark Ormrod and yourself, you know, people that are out there leading from the front, you know, and I wish we could have the same kind of personalities that we see, for example, coming out of the military in the positions that we trust to lead entire countries. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. You're right. Yeah. You know, the, the problem is with, you know, with power, it corrupts people, doesn't it? And then they just think about themselves. <laughs> and that's why I like, you know, that's why, you know, Mark's a pretty incredible person. He does all this fundraising, not for his own personal benefit. He doesn't get anything out of it other than getting thrashed by me three times a week. <laughs> you know, listen to my voice shouting continuously. <laughs> he, you know, you don't, you don't get, you know, obviously, and it's to help people. It's to help veterans, emergency services, 
to get the help that they need from the things that are happening to them, you know? And like I say, everything in life is an opportunity, isn't it? You know, you can either roll over and play the victim or you can get off your fucking ass and you can go move forward and make something of it or try to make something of it of yourself the situation that you're in. You know? Absolutely, 100%. Well, you, well speaking of, of Mark's, you know, um, crusade that he's on along with Sam, so talk to me about, you know, your work with Reorg and then your own personal journey into jiu-jitsu. Yeah, so uh, like first of all, Sam Sheriff from Reorg, what an absolute legend, you know, actual legend, first Royal Marine commander in history to be given a black belt in jiu-jitsu and that, that, that historical event can never be taken away from that man. He's a legend. He is, he's probably one of the only few people that I've ever met in my life that do more than I do and manages his family life and training and tries to compete. You know, that's, you know, it's, 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 it's hard, you know, managing life like that. Um, me, my personal journey with Reorg is obviously, I'm not, I know Sam from, he was a uh, warm commander, physical training instructor, and he was senior to I am. So I've met him when I was young too. Um, and naturally I've always got on with him. Um, and then Mark, in terms of like, the fundraising for Real, came to me. He left the his charity. And he's like, I want to do some fundraising for Real. I'm going to shave a beard for three grand. Uh, and I was like, right, at five grand, we'll do a 5K run. And then he rang me back and went, yeah, I'm happy with that. Will you shave your mullet for, for 10 grand? And I was like, nah, 20. And he's like, Ben, 10 grand. I was like, he, I'm like, Mark, no, I don't want to shave my mullet, which was down to here, which was, I don't think I loved a human child as much as I love that mullet. <laughs> They're coming back in, in now. <laughs> I still have it in. I, I still have it in a box at home, like you know. Um, and he's like, "We shaved him off for ten k," and I was like, "Yeah." So we just did some. We went down to the park because we were like, knew that we hit the beard shave. He shaved his beard. We we're getting close to like three and a half, four grand. I was like, "Well, we better start trading for this five k run." Fell over in the park. Video had a million views within an hour. Obviously, then the BBC, ITV, those guys get involved in the power of social media and and. National television is obviously a roller coaster that none of us were prepared for. Um, and overnight, we went from three grand. And I was only saying the day before, one of my mates was like, how's that fundraiser for that mullet guy? I was like, mate, they're never going to get there. My mullet's safe for at least another year. Blah, 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 blah. The next day, boom, 37 grand in the bank after that one, <laughs> one trip. So then, you know, we, we were on the phone. I was discussing like 5K. We're going to do a swim in the sea. He's like, hang on, mate. I was like, yeah, we're going to get to 100K. Then at the end of the year, we'll do a 24 hour rollathon. We'll get up to nearly a million. And he's like, Ben, slow down. I'm like, nah, let's, let's do this. And all of us, you know, all the events like I've challenged him with, he's done them, mate. And, um, you know, the run, incredible. We did two training sessions, or one training session, and he banged it out because we'd raised the money. So we had to do it. We thought we were going to have more time, but we didn't. The sea swim was just like, uh, like I say to you, like, unless you swam in the sea and done a lot of open water, so you don't realize how daunting and difficult getting in the organ is um it is and then to do that thousand meter sea swimming challenging currents where we swim it's very the currents are really challenging uh was just incredible and then we did the 99.0 mile bike ride which that was a challenge now that was a challenge there was there was angry moments there was flashing there was points that we both wanted to give up um you know for both of us that was a a big challenge and that was that was hard. That was a hard, hard, hard event through the night as well, which made it obviously even harder. Um, but again, testament to Mark, absolutely just smashed it, did it all on one arm, you know, 100 miles, nine and a half mile an hour average, 
one arm and we did 11,000 foot of elevation. So that basically every thousand meters we went up and down Ben Nevis, which is just crazy. When you look, when you look at that elevation, elevation, and you're a cyclist and you know, you know, you know, um, and then we've got a 24 hour jujitsu roller fun coming up. So we've got that on the 9th and 10th of December. So we're going to do 24 hours on the mats. And then we are, which is a, there's a link live for that for, for fundraising for reorg. And we, we've also, at the moment, I think we've got over 60 academies from around the world that are going to join in via Zoom. So we're actually going to try and break a Guinness Book of World Records for the most people doing a 24-hour rollathon in the world. And then we'll look to make that like an annual event where we try and beat it every year to raise some money for reorg. So we're, we're really excited for that. Beautiful. Yeah, well, I'm going to make sure we, this goes out almost immediately. So we'll still have a little bit of time to get the word out. Um, you talked about training and swimming, Royal Marines based. Um, did Ross Edgley, do you ever train with him? No, I've never trained with him. I'd like to train with him. So if he, if he does listen and he wants to come down for a set, I'll train with a guy. Like, he does some pretty impressive things from around the UK. He's pretty, pretty damn impressive, isn't it, really? Yeah. No, it's someone I want to get on here as well. I think his, uh, his knowledge of um, human performance is pretty incredible. Yeah. And I think, like, you know, his mindset is, you know, there's there's mindsets and there's mindsets, isn't there? Like, you know, there's a few people that you're meeting in your life with that next level mindset. Like, I would say my mindset's strong. I'll never give up and I'll always chip forward and I'll always move forward. But then there's there's a few people in this world that just go above and beyond what, what most of us mere mortals can do. Absolutely. All right. Well, one more kind of nonprofit I know you're associated with, Rock to Recovery. So tell me about them. <laughs> so Rock to Recovery, James Sanderson, Jamie Fox, uh, Foxy, they, they, they set that up. Uh, it's a, uh, like, um, a company base that's funded by charities that basically help uh, veterans, emergency services uh, with uh, post-traumatic stress. Um, you know, I see Rock to Recovery and those guys have been lifesavers, me literally. And I would, you know, I would put my hand on my heart and say that, yeah, they've made a big, big difference in my life. And I've got friend, friends that, are, uh, one was a, one of my close friends is a copper. He was a fireman before that. Came to me with the talks of suicide and I was like, whoa, stop. I'm ringing what to recovery. Do we do nine? Do we go guys from the police? And I'm like, well, we're unsure what the, how we're going to get funding for it. Blah, 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 blah. But yes, we're going to help him. Um, and, you know, completely help transform his life. He's one of my members here, funded by Real at the gym, which is amazing. Um, and then, like, you know, you get the phone calls or the messages from the head of police and saying, thank you for your intervention and what you've done. And then, you know, the police have donated like 75 grand to what to recovery to help with, with, with that. Because, you know, what it's like when one person comes out, it all comes out you know and when when the first person is big enough and brave enough to say they've got a problem from the things that they've had to see and do then it gives a, it paves a pathway for other people to go actually this is okay yeah 100 you know? percent. And then, and then having that having that infrastructure or having that 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 turn to place um to go to is you know we're, we're privileged that people like jamie sanderson and foxy have created such a great organization that look after us all yeah. Is that um, Jason Fox, the SAS guy? Yeah. Ah, yeah. okay. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. Yeah, SAS, you wins, yeah. Foxy. Yeah, that's another guy I got to get on. Beautiful. All right, well, I want to transition some closing questions so I can uh, be mindful of your time. Um, the first, yeah, one I lo- <laughs> first one I love to ask, is there a book that you love to recommend or books? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated. Um, I'm not, if I'm honest, I'm not a massive reader. Um, but 
I've read um, one of my friends who's just brought out uh, Elite Mindset, Ben Williams. I served with him as a Royal Marine. He's brought out a book um, called Elite Mindset. Former Royal Marine Commander, and he's talking about mental resilience, etc. And then um, one of my other friends, Gareth Timmons, has just released a book called Becoming the 0.01%. And that's his account of going through a Royal Marine Commander's training. Um, and he went through a very a very similar time to what I did and he actually went through training with one of my close friends that died in Afghanistan um, and that's a good book to read and then one of my good friends Tom has just given me this to read so it's about the legendary All Black and it's talking about like tick, uh, like mental mental fortitude and how to get the best out of your business from the experiences that he's had coaching one of the greatest sports teams of all time the uh, All Black rugby team so that, that's my next book I'm going to read but it takes me a good six months to read a book because one, I don't read very well. And two, time to read a book is is very, very scarce. Yeah, I, I actually found that when I started meditating, I use Headspace, the app. Yeah. That helped my reading because probably yeah. you, I'm sure you have the same thing, that fucking monkey mind, that thousand things <laughs> yeah. banging around your head. I'd look at the page, but my mind would already be thinking about what i got to do today. And once I calmed that freaking swarm of bees in my mind down that's when i noticed that my reading got better yeah yeah it's funny old thing that isn't it <laughs> all right well then the same question but what about a documentary or and or a film that you love documentary good uh, well just documentary wise david attenborough man i can watch that blue planet animal kingdom for hours and hours and hours and just really feel like how lucky we are to be on this planet like you know and have the ability to be able to have glimpses into the world you know sea creatures whatever it is. i think they always kind of they always kind of get me and i absolutely love them um in terms of like films you know dirty dancing is my all-time greatest film patrick swayze is one of my all-time heroes so i would say my favorite film of all time is dirty dancing followed by roadhouse followed by ghosts followed by Point Break. Um, so anything with Patrick Swayze in it, really. Yeah, I was so sad, you know, the cancer that took him. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering if you are going to say Roadhouse being a bouncer. Did you ever use any of those moves in real life? Nah. <laughs> I, want, I felt like I wanted to rip someone's throat out once, but I don't think I'm strong enough to do it. I don't know. I tried, but I've never never been successful. <laughs> Just seems <laughs> like kind of clawing at it. Like, hold on, wait a second. I can get this. Don't move. <laughs> All right. Well, the next question, is there a person you'd recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military and associated professions of the world? Well, if you haven't had Sam Sheriff on, then I would be texting him straight away because that man, that man and his mission is something that you should share to the world. I, I think Sam is so damn humble that he yeah. doesn't put himself out there. So if you can help me persuade yeah, him yeah. i would love well, to get we, him on i think it would be amazing to, to to hear his life story he's down rolling next week and you know he's similar you know gave up drinking through various reasons and you know when we're on the max together we always have these beautiful conversations that are just phenomenal don't they you know so sam will be down next week so i will to, for, to do some rolling um so obviously my time to shine and i'm like i'm gonna get him probably not <laughs> probably gonna be wishing I was dead for five minutes because it's how, he, how uncomfortable he makes me feel when he's on top. 
Um, <laughs> that's not a euphemism. <laughs> I was going to say, only in 2021 <laughs> can men just, talk like that. <laughs> just, just because you're a warm wing commando doesn't necessarily mean it's to do with anything else other than jiu-jitsu, all right? Or cigarettes. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll, mate, honestly, I'll, I'll, I'll message, I'll, 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 you message on Instagram and I'll bring it up and I'll get Mark to bring it up as well because obviously, you know, Mark's really close to him, but he, he would be someone that I would, listen to for hours talk about his life yeah no and i'd love maybe even if i can get over there and do it face to face because i know he just came back from abu dhabi didn't he he competed over there he's, um he's back or he's coming back okay gotcha. yeah yeah but even just his post there that he, i mean he didn't win that particular match i mean he won because he's represented at abu dhabi and that's a huge win but just his humility through that particular defeat you could see you know what an crazy incredible man he is yeah exactly you know Two kids, two dogs, running a business and trying to train to become a world champion. You know, tell me how many world champions have all those negative factors, not negative factors, but all those adverse effect factors affecting them when they're trying to reach a fitness goal or a professional goal like that. Athletes don't, do they? They, they train religiously for hours and hours a day without the stresses of money or food or kids or trying to spend some time at home, you know, and to even go out to get to that level and be that level is 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 a win you're right yeah yeah absolutely all right well then the last question before we make sure everyone knows where to find you and we'll talk about the charities as well um what do you do to decompress you talk about the sea swimming is there anything else and the jiu-jitsu um motorcycling i do a lot of motorcycling and i love motorcycling and that's another thing like the swimming you go out with a bunch of friends on motorbikes um obviously i've never broken the speed limit but again, when you're out in that group of mates, you're riding and have a little bit of fun, but you're in your own headspace again and you're focused on the task at hand because there's another task where you've got to focus. There's another thing, that, another hobby of mine, and it's the same as mountain biking as well, mountain biking and motorcycling, the two hobbies that I, that I love. Um, at, at the moment, I don't get a massive time for them, which is, you know, it, it's balancing family, work, training, swimming. It's a very hard act to deal with. But if I was going to say something that I don't, I haven't spoke about motorcycling and push biking would be definitely the the two the two things that I generally do love as well. Brilliant. What kind of bike do you ride? Motorbike. I used to I I just uh, sold my Yamaha R1M. So the creme de la creme carbon fiber fairings, owners electronic suspension, two hundred brake horsepower, beautiful machine. Yeah, well, I admire you for having the discipline of staying exactly under the speed limit. Yeah, sixty miles an hour top. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, people I'm sure listening, you know, would love to learn more about you, you know, find you on, on social media. So where are the best places online to to find you? And and, um, and then let's talk about where you can find uh, Reorg and Rock to Recovery as well. So um, Ben Wadham, I think it's Ben.Wadham because some weirdo out there has already got the better name on Instagram. So if you are listening and you want to give me that name back, I'll take it. Um, and I've got um, Three Boys is the swim group. Um, and I think that, you know, there's people that swim all over the country that are part and connected to us now. That's our next goal with that is branching out around the UK. Um, Pantheon Plymouth is the gymnasium page, but the gym page it's linked to me and that's on Facebook and Instagram as well. Um, so that's the best ways of getting in touch or finding me and seeing what I do for a daily basis. Beautiful. And then, um, Reorg and Rock to Recovery again, they, they're on Instagram and then their, their links are on the bio there. Yeah, so if you go to Rock to Recovery on uh, Instagram and you've got Real Charity on Instagram and then if you want to follow Sam, you've got Sam at Real Charity and then obviously Mark and, and the links are all on their personal pages. 
to back to. Um, but yeah, they're they're worth following, and uh, and especially the you know real for being a, such a brand new charity and what it does and what it gives back to veterans and stuff like that. I've got I think about seven or eight guys on a real funded scholarship at the gym that come and train or are a part of something and that the thing that they lost when they left the military they now have again which is incredible yeah and their stuff I've got real um, ghee real um, uh, rash guard so they, they make really great stuff with tatami as well yeah and all, and the great thing about all those guys is all the profits go back to the charity as well so when you buy a real ghee from tatami the profits go back into the charity so you're directly helping save someone from the emergency services or a veteran's life which is absolutely incredible Absolutely. Well, Ben, I just want to say thank you. It's been such a great conversation. You know, I mean, we all saw that kind of soundbite video that was put out there. And what I love about these long form conversations is you get to hear someone's whole story, you know, and, you know, sadly, there's a lot of a shiny object kind of element out there where, you know, people just see that one thing and that's it. And then, and then it's gone again. So to hear your whole story and, you know, the, the sacrifices that you made and the ultimate sacrifices some of your friends made and, you know, the transition out, it's been, uh, it's been amazing. So thank you for being so generous with your time today. No, my, my pleasure, James. And thank you very much for having me on and giving me the ability to be able to do my first podcast and also <laughs> get my message out there and talk a little bit about you know how it's okay to struggle when you're leaving and transitioning or you know get out talk to talk to someone find someone find an avenue of something that can break that self-perpetuating cycle of hate or sorrow or anger or whatever it is just find something that you can that you can control and you can break that loop